Vintage Church, how you doing? All doing all right? It's so good to see you. For those of you who may be visiting with us for the first time in a while, my name's Stephen, and we are uh, coming full circle in a series, can you believe we started five weeks ago, called This Means War. How many of you guys have enjoyed this series? Even if you haven't, don't worry, we have a new one starting next week. Super, super great, man. We've really tackled a lot of incredible, incredible topics, topics that just directly affect you. I have a a deep conviction that anything we talk about on Sunday, you should be able to use and apply on Monday. Does anybody else agree with that? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's why God gives us his word. And there's lots of issues that we just needed to really have God's mind on so we can hear the Holy Spirit and he can tell us how to engage in our specific circumstances. I do want to encourage you, if you missed any of the previous week, this is actually week six. I do not have time to go recap all of them, but we do have an app that you can download. You can go back to our YouTube page as well and you can catch up. Uh, What I want to do in our final week is I want to really tie it off with a nice bow before we go into a new series. Can I just tell you, There Is More is going to possibly be one of the best series we've ever done. Uh, For me, every new series is the best series because we try to get better every single time. But I do want to encourage you, this is a great time to jump into a small group, maybe host a small group. It's a great time to make sure you don't miss anything that we have going on. We have all kinds of vision coming to you, some big projects for all three of our locations uh, we're excited to tell you about. But today we're going to close out uh, This Means War, and we're going to come full circle. You know, up until this week, we've really talked about different things that affect you as a believer. For example, the foundation of every war in the earth is ultimately not a war between people or each other. It's a war against God, waged by who? The gates of hell, waged by Satan. And we've got to understand that for us to make sure that we don't get stuck in some ideological hole. But every time on top of that, um, the, the enemy tries to distort what God's doing through lies that we believe. Lies we believe about what the truth is. Lies we believe about God's plan for family or education or government. Last week we talked about, really debunked this false idea that you as a believer also are not to engage politically. You know, I hear pastors say this all the time, God doesn't care how you vote. It's not true. It's absolutely not true. He cares about everything in your life. He knows the number of hairs on your head. And I've reminded all you elderly folks that he even remembers the hairs that you've lost or the hairs that have turned gray. As believers, we're to shine a light bright for a world to see. We're not just to practice our faith at home, but also in the public square, which is where we get the word politics from in the first place. Now, God speaks to each of us differently about how to wield our influence. We've got to not only boldly act, uh, act according to how the Holy Spirit tells us, but also to honor those who God may be calling to leverage their influence in a different way than ours. And so that's very, very important. And and although we've talked about all of these external forces, what I want to do today is I want to come full circle and I want to talk about something that affects you personally. All of these battles, these wars that we're waging, it's kind of from the outside in. Did you know that Jesus promises that nothing is going to defeat us from the outside in? As a matter of fact, he says this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, after Peter uh, professes that he's Jesus, uh, that he's Christ, the Messiah, Uh, Jesus looks at Peter and and gives us a glimpse of how he's going to build. He says, now I say that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all, I'm going to say all. All in the Hebrew means all. (laughs) It's the same word. All of the powers of hell, all of them, all of the wars the enemy wages against the church will never 
prevail. Today we're going to come full circle and we're going to talk about what I believe is perhaps the only way that we are rendered as a church ineffective in the war around us. We're going to talk about the war on church, which is really a war on honor. It's not something that happens to us, but it's something that if we're not careful, right, can happen in us and affect our entire life. Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, Jesus is looking at the Pharisees, and you might think it kind of feels us and them, but the truth is Jesus was a rabbi, is a Jewish rabbi. He was talking to his people who knew his word, right? And he looks at them and he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Did you know there's a tendency every single one of us have as believers for that light, that fire to wane over time? I don't know about you, but in our world, and I've experienced this, it's a lot easier to say you're a Christian than it is to actually be a Christian. It's a lot easier to say you love God than it is to actually act as though you love God. James, the half-brother of Jesus, literally said, faith without works is dead. Jesus talks a lot about believers uh, producing fruit in their life. It's a lot easier, okay, it just is, it's a lot easier to give God lip service about all of the problems in our world. It's a lot easier to curse all of them out there and neglect the drift in our own heart. I don't know about you, but throughout my life and several roles in my life, there's always a tendency to drift. You know, I don't know why, but my kids' bedrooms never, like, get clean on their own. Like, you know, we get in there, and I, oh, my garage for that matter. I get in there, and I clean the garage. I spend all day, and then a month later, I look at the garage and realize it got messed up. It seems like everything in our world moves from, hey, it's put in order, to disorder. That same thing can happen in our home with God. I remember when I gave my life to Christ, man, I was just so excited, so hungry for the things of God. But then years go by, and I've read that. I've heard that before. I've gone to that. I've, I know what he's going to say before he's going to say it. Does anybody ever feel that way? Hopefully I kind of spice it up a little bit for you, keep you on your toes. But the truth is, God's ways work. They don't change. We don't need anything new. We need to go back to what he already said to do. And sometimes in that process, we can get kind of familiar with our faith. It's the same way with our, in our marriage. My wife and I, we actually, uh, we're in our 18th year of marriage. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. It's tempting, though. I'm going to tell you, it's tempting to go. I already know everything there is to know about her. We took a trip to Dallas. We're sitting there, and a counselor told us years ago that when you're talking to your spouse, okay, one of the ways to avoid conflict or to deal with each other well is to make sure you point your feet and your knees at them while they're talking. Try that. It'll, it points your whole body. It's pretty great. So I'm sitting there talking with her, having brunch. And she goes on to tell me a story that in 18 plus years of knowing her, I have never heard before. I was blown away. Did you know we still have something to learn about each other? It's tempting in our kid with our kids, you know what I mean? It's tempting to keep that alive, you know, especially when they start hitting puberty. Come on. You got to keep that relationship alive, man. They all of a sudden maybe don't want anything to do with you, but you got to kind of lean in. You got to try harder. Does that make sense? It's tempting even in our job. How many of you were excited when you first got your job? You're like, man, I got a job. <laughs> then all of a sudden you get up and you go to work every day, in and day out. And I love people who come into the church, man, when they're brand new, they're just so happy. They come to the guest suite. They're like, man, pastor, this church is amazing. Those other jerks, 
you know, you're so much better than that church. And I said, just wait, those jerks are here too. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Our culture is absolutely infatuated with new and exciting. But the best things in your life, the things that have the biggest impact are the little things that you do over time. And they're things that affect your heart. That's what I want to talk about today. Jesus here says that one of those things is this tendency to say you're in, but your heart not to be in. And as a pastor, I, I've taught a lot of things as a pastor. My favorite thing to teach is the gospel because that changes everything. That, that, that gets us starting. I always say it's not a parking place when you pray that prayer to give your life to Christ for the first or the thousandth time. It's not a parking place. It's a starting place. Everyone can start again from that place. It's my favorite thing to teach. We, we, we literally end every service with that message. But as I was thinking this week about this topic and this was coming up, I have to say what I'm going to teach you in a few minutes is perhaps the most powerful thing I've ever taught second to the gospel for a Christian. It's the thing that makes believers most effective. It's the thing that keeps the fire alive in their life. And it's honor. I'm going to teach about honor. So if the heart drift is the problem, how do we deal with the heart? Matthew 6, 21, Jesus says, for where your heart is, where your treasure is rather, there your heart will be also. What I'm going to teach for the next few moments is this crossroads that every believer finds himself in at some time in their life. At some time in your life, you're going to come to a crossroads. And here's the crossroads. You're going to have to choose how you relate to money, possessions, and wealth. This world is so material, always vying for your time. The test is really, do you really believe that this place we're passing through? Or do you lean in and, and, and an inordinate attachment to your heart and your stuff starts to happen? Jesus knew that this would be the biggest crossroads second to following him that any individual would ever go through. And I know this is true because when you study the Gospels and the first part of Acts, that's the back half of the Gospel of Luke, you see that Jesus talks more about how people relate to money and possessions than any other topic. Faith, hope, and love combined. Jesus has more to say about how you and I relate to this material world than any other thing. You might be thinking, why, why can we even talk about this in church? I believe, yes, I believe we have to talk about it. I believe much of what we found ourselves in over the last 50, 60, 70 years has been this reality. Prosperity causes us to drift. Having an answer for everything, never needing anything, causes us, if we're not careful, to rely on those things other than God to sustain us and to grow us. I would say it this way. I believe prosperity in the United States is a great blessing, but it's also made the church weak. This is why the church is exploding in every other part of the world. It's because those people don't have a choice, right? It's because those people, like, literally, like, they don't have 17 options before they hit their knees in desperation and cry out to God. And so as we tie up this series with a pretty little bow, I want us to go inward. Because I believe when we look in, that's really the secret. That's the place that God wants to touch so that we can shine the light he's called us to shine. God's way is so much better than the way of this material world. Isaiah 55, 8, God says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. 
For just as the heavens are higher, everyone say higher. higher. Higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Notice God here doesn't say that your thoughts, your beliefs, your feelings are no good, they're not important. What he says is God has a greater perspective for you than you could ever have for you. And that by elevating your thinking about how God works, you elevate your life. That's what he's saying here. And so I'm going to talk about honor. I want to essentially make a case for what honor is, how you and I like, you know, can practice it in our life, and then ultimately, what does it mean in terms of our faith moving forward. The first thing you've got to understand is honor is essential in our relationship with each other. Write that down. Did you know if you don't learn to honor people, you're not going to have meaningful relationships. For example, having been married for my wife for nearly 18 years now, I've had to learn over time to honor her. Here's how this looks practically. Uh, for me, I'm really busy. You can imagine she's a physician. She's really busy. We have to be really connected on our schedules in a big way. If something happens at church or something happens during the day or gets added to my schedule, that's going to cause me to be late. Okay, here's what I do. Right when I know that that's going to happen, I pick up the phone and I let her know. So if she's cooking dinner, if she has a plane with the kids, I honor her, right, by calling her and letting her know I'm going to be late. Now, I also extend my own life. Come on, somebody. Because should I not call her and let her know, I may die. Come on, anybody. But it doesn't just start with me. I then have to make sure that the little people we've created together with God, that they also honor her. You know, there are three reasons that you get a whooping in my house. I do still give whoopings in my house. Some of y'all, you give too many. Some of y'all don't give enough. Come on. If you do it right, you don't have to do it a lot. But there are three reasons that I give a spanking in our house. The first is they lie. My kids lie. Nope, automatic spanking. You tell me the truth, you dodge the paddle. Come on. The next is they disrespect authority. We take authority very seriously, how they speak to police officers, how they deal with teachers. We may not let the teachers pick their library books, but we, we make sure that they honor their teachers. It was a couple weeks ago. Go back and listen. Okay, honor, you disrespect authority. You know, spanking. And you know what the third one is? You mess with mom. By the way, they mess with me all the time and don't get a spanking. They mess with me, they mouth off, but man, you mess with mom, there's a line and they know. They know that on the other side of that line, it's a big deal. What is that? I have to train my kids to honor. You know, we don't come out of the womb knowing to honor. We, we, it, this is something that we, we, don't, we don't naturally move from dishonor to honor, ever. We always move from honor to dishonor. That's how it works in our family. Honor is so essential to our relationship with each other. Next is, uh, now, now I want you to think about this. Now, if, if it's necessary in our relationship with each other, is God any different? Yes or no? Think about that for a minute. If, if honor is the foundation of our relationship with one another, what about our relationship with God? The Bible teaches us that honor is essential to our relationship with God. A lot of people don't experience a true, authentic faith because they don't actually put God in the place that he is, which is first. Did you know that God's first, even if he's not first in your life? Amen. That we didn't put God on the throne in heaven. That regardless of what you do, the universe is still going to move around the fact that God is first. You know, there's a story. There's many stories in the Bible. The whole Bible is the story of people, of what happens when you honor God and put him first. And then when you move away from God and you disobey him. One of the stories that I think illustrate this is a story in the book of 1 Samuel. It's about a priest who had two sons. You might know this priest. His name is Eli. He had two sons. One of them was Phinehas, and the other one was named Hophni. 
and their dad was the high priest. Okay, but as Phineas and Hophni grew up, their dad did not teach them how to honor. As a, re- as a result, they grew up and they didn't honor God. Then they started serving in the house of God and they actually used their positions in the temple to take advantage. They didn't honor God, his people, or his temple, which was their job. As a matter of fact, they, they started taking more than what God had prescribed. God had prescribed exactly how it should go. And they made sure that the priest always had more than enough. But because they didn't honor God, they always wanted more. They wanted to take more. They started skimming off the top of God's sacrifices. They started taking advantage of God's people. Literally, women would come to the temple to offer their sacrifices to God. And they would manipulate them into sexual relations. It was absolutely an abomination to God. They had no honor. And the truth is, Eli knew about it, but he didn't stop it. So one day, God sent a messenger to Eli, and the messenger said this in 1 Samuel 2.29. So why do you scorn my sacrifices and offerings? Why do you give your sons more honor than you give me? For you and they have become fat from the best offerings of my people Israel. Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, says, I promise that your branch, that, that your branch of the tribe of Levi would always be my priest, But I will honor those who honor me. Look what he says. And I will despise those who think lightly of me. Our whole life as a believer, the moment we give our life to Christ, is learning how to continually keep God in that first place. Because if we're not careful, we get super familiar with who he is and how he works. Why is honor such a big deal to God? Man, I'm so glad you asked that question. I've got an answer. It's not about being boss. God knows that honor is a reflection of your heart. Why is it easier for us to talk about being Christian than it is to be a Christian? It comes down to honor. And that honor directly affects our heart. Look what Jesus says again to the Pharisees. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. What Jesus is saying here that honor is a matter of the heart. He's saying that honor that is only talk isn't actual honor. Honor isn't honor until it's expressed in actions, until it's expressed in action. The next thing that we see is honor emphasizes stewardship over ownership. One of the issues we have with not being able to honor God is we actually think we're God. We actually think that we make our own world go around. We think that way. Even if we're mentally assent, no, of course God's in control, but you know what? I'm gonna still control. God's in control, but I'm still, this is more than just doing our part. It's we want to do God's part. The Bible teaches us that we don't own anything here. I know this is true because I have never seen a hearse. I've never, I've never seen a U-Haul follow a hearse out of a funeral, ever. I've never sat by the bedside of somebody ailing and then tell me about you know, their worry with all of their stuff and the things they didn't earn and the things they didn't do. I've never seen that. I've never seen anybody come in any differently, go out of this world any differently than they came in to this world. The truth is, Everything in this world, including you and me, belongs to God. This is foundational to honor and this idea of stewardship. He introduces this idea, doesn't introduce it, it's all throughout the scripture, but Jesus gives a parable. I love Jesus because he always gives a story. Like, I want you to really get this. Now, as I read this story, it's going to be tempting to go, okay, pastor, that's first century. Like, we got iPhones now. Don't do that. God's word is good for the iPhone generation and every generation. Does that make sense? Matter of fact, I would say this could change everything in our world if believers would just get grasp this. 
especially the wealthiest among us. Luke 12, 16, 21, and he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Verse 20, but God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. We have a tendency as believers, if we're not careful, to be so involved and invested in all of these issues surrounding us that we forget about the God who holds everything together. The Bible teaches us here that you and I are stewards. We are caretakers. My stuff is not my stuff. This is why Jesus, in telling this story, emphasizes all of these personal pronouns. I will store it for me, for my crops. Then I will say to myself, does that sound like the iPhone generation? I phone. Me, myself, and I. I will do what feels good. I will choose what's true. I, I, I I. The man in this parable was not rich towards God. Was not rich towards God. Why? Because he didn't honor God. Here's something that we see in the scripture, and you've got to get this as a Christian. Honor without a test is only lip service. Write that down. Honor without a test is only lip service. Now, every one of us get this, especially if you're a parent, you understand that this is true. During Christmas time, what's the most repulsive thing? that your kid can do in response to a gift that you give them? Be ungrateful. I didn't want that color. I want what she has, not what he has. Our parents know this. We know this is true. What do we say? You get nothing. You're getting coal in your stocking. What does a parent know? Parent knows. Here's, here's, the, here's the key, though. This is important. Here's the problem there. The problem is, how, what parent? I don't know a parent. I don't know a parent who doesn't love to give good gifts to their kids. I personally don't know one. I know there's evil people and maybe, you know, whatever, but, but I, don't, I don't really know one, at least in the beginning, that, that, would, that would, like, you know, Jesus says, like, who, who, when their kid asks for bread, gives them a snake? I mean, that's, just, that's not normal. That's not a thing. You might feel like it. But, like, right? But, like, who? They don't do it. But, but, why do we, but why? Why do we care about gratefulness? Because we want our kids to love the giver more than the gift. You see, it's not even about the gift. We don't care. Christmas is the best for parents, by the way. So much better to give than it is to receive. We understand that as parents at Christmas time. The greatest joy is with those who give. But there's something about ungratefulness that can seep into our heart, that can make us resentful, that can, let me just say it this way, we can be the richest nation from the poorest to the highest of all people on all of planet Earth in any given time and still think that we have it the worst. That's where we are right now as America, by the way. Like, you do realize the problems they were dealing with, like, I don't know, less than 100 years ago? How about running water? How about a toilet that actually flushed when you hit the lever? Today, the poorest person lives greater than the first billionaire did at the turn of the last century. What is that about? It's an honor thing. It's an ungrateful thing. Honor without a test is only lip service. Like you, God's apparent from the very beginning 
he always required human beings to choose. Think about this for just a minute. The very first story in the Bible, Genesis 2.16. But the Lord God warned Adam, you may freely eat from the fruit of every tree in the garden except that one. Honor me in this one thing. Except that one tree, for the moment you eat of it, you will die. Now think about what we do as parents trying to protect our kids. We're thinking like, if there's, one tr- if there's something in the house that can kill them, what are we doing? We're getting it out of the house. We're looking where all the knives are, making sure we're putting in outlet protectors, you know. We only curse trying to remove them to plug something in. Come on, anybody, just me. Like, we, we try to protect, but God doesn't do that. Think about this for a minute. God put a test in the center of the garden. Adam and Eve, the Bible says, where was it? It wasn't in the corner. Those trees stood next, side by side. This is what God does with us. This is why we have his word. He literally puts life and death right next to each other. And then you and I, we walk by it every day and we get to choose. That's the Christian life. This is where he put them. And the moment we start choosing the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, let me call it this way, the tree of me, myself, and I, we're actually robbed from the life God has for us. And you know that. Every giver who knows it's better to give than receive understands that you don't want to just remain a consumer. This is why our culture is depressed, anxious, and overwhelmed. Because we've literally built happiness as this material thing that you can buy and sell. You can't. Everyone knows that's not true. I'm sorry, let me say it this way. We say it's not true. We mentally assent that it's not true, but we live as though it is. We live as though it is. Again, how do you know you really honor? Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Remember, of all the things I've taught, there's not one that's more powerful than this. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Honoring God as a Christian, starts with the tithe. Write it down. Honoring God starts with the tithe. Much like a relationship with Jesus, when you give your life to Christ, it it starts, it doesn't stop. The tithe is an on-ramp to the life God has for you, not a parking place, but it starts with the tithe. For those of you who may be new to church, maybe you've never heard this taught, but as believers, God commands us to give the first 10% of our gross income back to his storehouse, the church. Now, I'm gonna teach this. There are lots of people who would try to, you know, project that God somehow has changed the way that he's set things up. I'm gonna make a case in just a few moments for why this is not just good for God's house, but good for your house. Okay, so Malachi chapter three, verse six through 10. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you a pattern that happens in the Bible. Here's the pattern. People are desperate. They need answers. God shows up and provides. God tells them exactly what they should do, how they should do it, makes his word super clear, and then says, if they do what he says, they'll be most blessed. But the moment they decide to drift, the moment they decide to coast away from him, the further away they get from him, the worse their life goes. Now, this is what happened in the book of Malachi. Malachi, to give you some context, it happens in every book of the Bible, just about. You see this pattern of people and how they move. What had happened in the book of Malachi is the people realized that the hand of God was lifted from them. They had experienced it before, but they realized all of a sudden, it's like wasn't what it was before. All of a sudden, things started happening, right? Things started, you know, uh, moving in a direction that was opposite of God, and they started to suffer. So Jesus here, I mean, Malachi rather, in Malachi chapter three, verse six, 
This is that dialogue. So they're in this place where they're crying out to God. Why is, why is the world messed up? Like, what, why, what's going on? And here's what God says. First, he opens up with, I, the Lord, do not change. A lot of Christians will try to tell you that the principle of first in tithing was only in the Old Testament Levitical law, but it predates the law. You might remember the story of Cain and Abel. If you read that story closely, it was about offering and sacrifice. The Bible says that Abel brought a first fruit of everything he had. And then of Cain, it says, over the course of time, Cain brought what he wanted when he felt like it. God accepted Abel, but rejected Cain. Abraham, before the law of Moses was ever put into place, Abraham would return master, the Hebrew word, the tenth, the first, fruit, same word. He returned it to the king of Salem, which was thought to be the pre-incarnate Christ, to honor God. This was set in the beginning by God. Now, it was certainly codified in the civil law of the Jews. And today, we only need Jesus, right? That's the only name under heaven by which we can be saved. But how many of you know the principles and the precepts of God don't change? They're always the same. Sure, you may still go to heaven, but I'm gonna tell you, if you don't learn to obey God on earth, you will have a hell on earth. And many of us, we have a hell on earth, even as a Christian, because we don't apply the word and the ways of God in our life. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed ever since the time of your ancestors. Way back then, guys, you should know this. It's in my word. He says, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. This is important. You feel far from God? You've got to return to him. He's not returning to you. You didn't put God on his throne. He doesn't revolve around you. We have to conform our life to him. The Apostle Paul says, we have to discipline our body to make it do what it should. You know that's true. Miralax would not exist if that wasn't true. Come on. <laughs> what happens? Over time, we want to just do what we want when we want to do it. That's how it works. Look what he says. He, then he goes, then they go. This is, this, so there is a conversation between them and God, like just like us. But you ask, how are we to return? So they go, God, okay, okay, okay. What are we not obeying? Tell us where we missed it. He goes in and he says, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? Look what he says. In tithes and offerings. He says, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. A lot of people misteach this, even pastors, and I can't stand it. God does not put a curse over you. It's not what it's saying. He says, you're already under one. Did you know that the moment you were born into this sinful world, your stuff and everything in it is under the curse of sin and death? God doesn't put the curse on you. The Bible actually says that the tithe is the answer to the curse on your stuff. He goes on to say, bring the whole tithe. This is important. Tithe is a 10%. What's great, so great is, first of all, it's a percentage for everybody. I don't, care, I don't care what the crazy leftists say. A percentage is a percentage. Okay, you make more, it's a higher percent. It's, it's, a, it's a higher amount, but the percentage is the same. You make less, you can start anywhere you are. Okay, but he says the whole tithe, meaning that people were going, well, you know, I might give a little bit over here to this. I might give a little bit over here to this, and I'm going to return a portion of the tithe. He doesn't say that. He says the whole tithe. It's 10%. Into the storehouse. Where is that? It's where you're fed. It's where you're cared for. It's your local church, to be clear. People leave our church all the time, and they're like, Pastor, I just love everything. I want to still support the church. Can I still tithe here? And I go, nope. Your tithe does not belong in a church. It belongs in your church because it blesses you. This is crazy, too. Because it's way more about your house than it is God's house. But God still uses 
what you do in obedience to bless you in your house. This is crazy, but he goes on. He goes, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you won't have room enough to store it. Now, there's a test. It's the only place in scripture God says, test me. And I want you to pay attention to the windows. People teach this really surface and it's not good. It's not just about giving you get from God. That's not how it works. The Bible says that when you obey God and honor him with the tithe, that there are windows in heaven that begin to open for you. Think about windows for a minute. They're channels. As I've obeyed God with the tithe and above and beyond that over the years, it's a starting place, remember. As I've obeyed God, here's what's happened. It's not just been financial blessing. He's opened up windows of relationships at just the right time. There are times, believe it or not, that the church has been so heavy that I've looked around and thought, I don't know if I can continue to hold this on my own. And in that moment, God brings the right staff people, the right elders, the right, they just come in and they take the weight. There's been moments where, you know, my kid wouldn't listen to me, but God brought just the right friend and family at just the right time. There were moments where I didn't know what to do with my job, man. There were some things I wasn't really sure. It was before we started the church that I needed God to reveal and God opened up a window to bless. He opens up windows of blessing. He goes on to say in verse 11, I will, present, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. Those are also known as teenagers. Come on. It's one of them, one of them. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord God Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for years will be a delightful land, says God. This is interesting too because this, this is how the tithe protects everything you build on earth. It's like an umbrella, right? It's like all of a sudden your cars last longer than other people's. All of a sudden, like you walk into great deals. All of a sudden, it's like, it's like God just makes it up. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable to even think for just a minute, right? But that 10% act of faith, by the way, you return that. You don't even give. That's not yours to give. It's God's. God gave you everything. You return it. This principle is also seen in the first promised land. You know, you, God takes his people into the promised land. What was the first city? Jericho. What did he say? That's mine. Don't touch it. You see, it belongs to God. This is crazy about God. You return to God what already belongs to him, and then he returns it back to you in blessings that you can't explain. It's literally how God works. So here's what I want to close on. Here's what I want to close on. Remember, my job is not to pastor Facebook. My job is not always to be your best friend or to even speak Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I love that song. But I want to speak his word. I want to speak his word because I want you to win. And by the way, I'll make very clear. I'll make this very clear. The church is doing better than it's ever done historically, ever. We literally had two kids this last year, Belton and Liberty Hill. And we're still doing better than we've ever done globally as a church. You see the top, yeah, it's great. You can clap for that. So, so we're fine. And by the way, there's only two times that I'll look at your tithe. Only two. All right, only two. The first one is if you're really negative and you're complaining all the time, I, want, I have a question. Do they tithe? Here's what I've realized. The people who have the biggest opinions and they're the meanest, they never give. Consumers are mean. Think about it for a minute. But when it's a part of your family and you're invested in it, all of a sudden you have something to say. So I always look, man, somebody has a problem. They want to meet with you because they have a problem. I go, hey, do they tithe? And when they say yes, you know what I say? You know what? They're probably pretty committed then. And you know what? God may have brought them here to be able to speak something, right? I also require that all of our staff and our leaders tithe. You will not work on our staff if you're not a tither. You will not lead in any high capacity if you're not a tither. Those are the only two. So here's what I'm saying is, even if you don't listen to me, I'm not, I'm not keeping score. That's weird, okay? But I will tell you this, of everything that I've done in my life, there is something so powerful in knowing 
that all hell can be breaking loose around me, okay? But I know that everything I'm building is under God's protection because I obey him with the tithe. There's something powerful about that. Okay, so, so here's what I'm going to say. Here's what I'm going to say. A Christian that doesn't tithe doesn't honor God. I'm going to say it again slower with a smile. A Christian that doesn't tithe doesn't honor God. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. I didn't say it. I love you. I ain't going nowhere. Whether you tithe or not. All right, God called me to build the church, to love people right where they are. Okay, but a Christian that doesn't tithe is just giving lip service to God. Okay, a Christian that tithes is saying, you know what, I'm going to step in to a work that will bless me, but transcends everything in this material world. I'm going to put my eyes towards a kingdom that's going to outlast everything on this earth. And in doing so, I'm going to honor God. Now, when I say that, there are a few different reactions, and we're going to close. The first reaction is I see people doing this because you know it's true. You know, you know it's true. I know many of your testimonies in here. You come to me and, and Pastor, I don't know if I can afford this. I go, you know what? If that's where you are, you can't afford not to. Trust God. And you go and you trust God and he comes through. He always does. There are people who you tithe and you know it's true. You can't explain it. You still can't explain it, but you know it's true. There are others in here, you're new in your faith. You're just new. You, you know, you've seen weird people on TV, you know, passing out cloths for money. And, you know, it gets weird. And, and you just didn't know. Well, guess what? Now you're responsible for what you know. So when do you start? Last I checked, this is a payday weekend. Start now. Start now. We don't feed you. Go tithe somewhere else. It's fine. Start now. Then there are those of you that when I say that, inside you just go <laughs> like that. I used to be scared of you. I ain't scared of you anymore. And let me tell you why. I will never apologize for telling you to do something that positions you for God's blessing. And, and let me just tell you what that is. I'm going to tell you what that is. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And on the other side of that is a life you could not imagine. On the other side of that is the answer to so much you've been praying God for. And curse me if I'm so scared of your reaction that I don't give you a little push past that. Because when you get past that, you discover, oh my gosh, what God says is true and it always works. It changes your life. It totally changes your life. The interesting thing too is God then flips it on you and allows us together to shine a brighter light into the world. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much for the power of your word. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing in our church. Thank you, God, for you never put our future and our destiny in someone else's hands. You always put it in ours, and you always put it in yours. Father, everything you tell us to do, you're set right there to prove it right. Father, I pray right now. I pray for those who really struggle with this. They're in financial straits. It's hard to be a blessing to others when you don't have enough for yourself. I pray, God, that you would expand their faith. I pray that they would step out, that they would honor you with the tithe. I thank you, God, that you're going to meet them. It's a test that you never fail, ever. Father, I pray you continue to bless those who put you first in their resources. I thank you, God, that when we put put you first in this most tangible way, it's easier to put you first in other ways. And God, we meet you there. We love you. We thank you. Father, I also pray for those who their next step is not to start tithing. Their next step, rather, is to surrender their life to you. Father, as heads are bowed, eyes are closed, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, if there's anybody in here that's far from you, I pray that they would make a decision to follow you. As heads are bowed, eyes are closed, we're almost done. 
I believe one of the most important things we do every week is we provide a place and a space for people who are far from God to draw near to him. If you're in here today and you're far from God, you know it. I don't have to point. I don't have to stare at what's going on in your life. You know if you're far from God. Maybe you've given your life to Christ before, but you've not honored that commitment. You've allowed offense, distraction to push you away from a relationship with God. Maybe you're in here and you've never given your life to Christ, but there's something tugging at your heart. That too is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Here's my advice. Surrender to God for your best life. You will never be all that God's created you to be apart from him. You cannot get to God apart from Christ. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that it's through an act of free will where you voluntarily surrender your life to him. You believe what the Bible says about him is true, that he died for your sins on a cross, that he rose from the dead the third day, that it's from belief that life change happens. Belief in who? Belief in him. That your life starts or starts again. When his heads are bowed, eyes are closed, listen, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to single you out. We're not going to call you to the front. We're not going to do any of that. But Jesus does say that those who acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge before my Father, and those who don't, I won't. Between me, you, and God, if you're saying, Pastor, that's me, pray for me. I'm far from God, I don't want to be. Would you just acknowledge that by putting up your hand halfway and putting it right back down? I see you. Up and down, I see you. You're just acknowledging. Hey, that's me. Hey, when we pray, I'm praying, and I mean it. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Thank you. It's the most important commitment and decision you'll ever make moment we're going to pray a prayer. I want to encourage you if you raise your hand, pray that prayer like you really mean it. Let it be an expression of why you raised your hand. I believe on the other side of that act of free will, God's going to tell you to do something. My advice to you is do what he says. You'll never have less, you'll always have more. We're also going to give you some next steps about what you can do to grow. Remember, this is a starting place, not a parking spot. God moves you from where you are to where he's taking you over time alongside spiritual family. But right now, we're going to pray. We're going to pray. We're going to give our lives and our hearts to God. For those of you who are already following Jesus, I want to encourage you as we pray this prayer to also pray it so as to encourage those who may be sitting right next to you who are praying it for the first time or the hundredth, who believe in what they're doing. Let's pray this all together. Everyone pray, Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth, for living a perfect life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I believe that you are good and I believe you're God. I believe on the third day, after you were killed, I believe you rose from the dead. I believe you defeated death to give me life. Today I choose life. Today I make you my Lord, my Savior, and my King. Today I'm new. Lead me and guide me. Show me what's next. It's in your name that we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Come on, church. Throw our hands together.